more from my heart rather than a deep teaching, if that's okay. And uh, I, I, this might generate some discussion afterwards. Um, but I, <laughs> you know, it's, I think it's becoming real to me, a lot more real, um, how many actually really hurting Christians there are around. Uh, not just because of things I've been through in my own life, but I don't know, just talking to people, and I might share some things without mentioning names. Uh, you won't know any of the people. But I, 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 and even some discussion we had this morning in uh, the church up north, that you know, there's a lot of lonely Christians around. There's a lot of Christians carrying pain, some of them for years, and they're not finding it being dealt with in church. Uh, part of it because sometimes they don't feel they can be real and honest with anybody. They don't feel they can talk to someone. Um, you know, people feel that if they share it, especially with the leaders, the leaders end up being standoffish, like, oh, they're going through something. Or people are pretending because they feel like they have to be all oh, joyful. And I believe in the joy of the Lord. And I think we, we rely a lot on an environment um, where we just will trust the anointing to, 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 to heal people. And, hey, I believe in what the anointing does. Trust the presence of God to do it. I believe in what the presence of God uh, can do. But, you know, there, there's a scripture, and I know this is said in kind of God spoke this, and we use this in context of marriage. But just think about a broader context in Genesis where God said it is not good for man to be alone. And, and, and yes, husband, wife, man, woman, but God recognizes that people need people. It's a reality. And I, go, I know you guys identify with this, but I'm just going to share some things. And then, like I said, we might be able to talk about some things. But going back to what I was saying, there, there's too many that are carrying pains that they're not getting free from. There's too many that are carrying I don't know what kinds of burdens on the inside. And God is the God who, who sets people free emotionally. But a lot of times people, especially Christians, are just going through challenges alone. And, you know, I, I was talking to someone recently and, they, they, you know, they were saying they were involved in uh, not the leaders of a church, but kind of helping under the leaders. So associates come with that kind of things. And they were saying that they go, were going through some things and they shared it with the leaders and the leaders just kind of like almost standoffish, like they're going, like there's something wrong with them. And, um, you know, they got shared around with other leaders and stuff like this. And, and then they just said they're just really, as a couple, they're just lonely by themselves trying to have to get through it. Uh, I was talking to another guy who messaged me recently and they're leaving the church they're at. It's a good word church. But they just feel like they've just been totally for two years uh, just left in a place where they're never good enough. They, they, you know, they, 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 they can't ever meet the expectations of the leaders. And I know they're good people. They're hungry people, hungry for God. But they've just reached a point where they're negative and against almost the institution of the church. And I don't think personally this is the environment that church should be. How about you? And I know people here, yeah, we've experienced rejection and different things in, in environments. But I just want to talk about some things from, is this all right with you? Yeah. Yeah. Is this all right with you? 
and this is streaming and I, I i want this to go out there because i think i think there's some things that we need a change of culture and a change of environment in churches um because people come they go to praise and worship they go to you know get prayed for under the anointing they hear some good word uh and then they you know, they might get touched by the anointing and they go home and many of them still those burdens remain. They might have a, have a little bit of a release. And sometimes people do get free from stuff by the anointing. I, 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 don't, I don't doubt that at all. But like I said, people need people. In fact, <laughs> let's just look at a couple of scriptures. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12 where I said, and this is in the scripture, he's talking about the body. Uh, this is the scripture where he says, if the eye should say, you know, I'm not a hand or the hand should say, I'm not an eye or I want to be a, you know, when we talk about that, people wanting to be different parts, but there's another phrase in here, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25 and 26, which says that there should be no schism in the body, no division, uh, but that the members should have the same care for one another. It's not just about no division, but what kind of environment should it be? Care for one another. What, what is it to care for one another? Because, oh, yeah, I care for the guy next to me. Well, we're going to read a couple of scriptures and just think about this. Yeah? Care for one another. If one member suffers, you just pat them on the back and say, God will set you free, brother. We'll pray for you. No? If one member suffers, all. The members suffer. Is, is that often real? Is that often actually the case? You know, it's an interesting thing. I was thinking about what Jesus did for us when he bore our sins. And we talk about identification. We identify with him, but he identified with us. Now, he carried our burden. That's the word I'm looking for. He identified with us. That's love. He didn't just pray for us from a distance. He took it upon himself. He took the pain. He felt the pain that we felt. Was he tempted like we were tempted? Yeah, he was tempted. They didn't yield. But on that cross, people almost, I think sometimes we don't really connect what happened there, but he bore our burdens. He bore our griefs. He felt, he carried our pain, yes, and our sickness and disease as well, but there's more to it than, than that. That's what an intercessor does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, and I, I do think, again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm literally just sharing this as I think about it. I've got very few notes. Is that all right? But I, 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 I personally think, and this is what's what what what, what, what uh, um, I've been dwelling on, and I said it a moment ago, that we need a change of culture and environment. Because I actually want the kind of environment where the hurting really are set free. Not just touched and we just let the anointing do it, but where actually we can be the kind of people that are Christ-like, what did Christ do? He bore the pain. What does it say? If one member suffers, all suffer. Yeah? That means you'll feel the pain. You know, 
uh, it, it, how many of you ever kicked your toe really bad? Does your toe just feel the pain? Yeah. Man, if you kick it bad enough, you feel it in your ears. Yeah? You feel it everywhere. The pain, the, 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 a pain in part of the body is felt by the whole body. Even though you can localize and argue that's where the pain is, but you feel it everywhere. Yeah? Because actually that's how a body functions. Um, and I think part of the reason we don't have this in a church culture, and this is where I, I, through some things I've been through, it's stirring in my heart that we, we need to set a different standard. We need to find a way. We need to trust God. We need to find and trust God for a way to have a different environment because church is not just about the spiritual side of things. We're a body. Do you know, in Acts chapter 2, it talks about, Acts 2.42, it talks about how they continue daily in the apostles' doctrine and in prayers and breaking of breads. And there's a fourth thing. Yeah. Fellowship. Yeah. That's the natural side. That's, and that's not just fellowship where everyone, I don't think that's fellowship where everyone just gets together for, for, for a coffee or for a meal and you'll pretend to be all right with each other. Yeah. Because I don't think that's the kind of fellowship that's actually spoken about in Scripture. Yeah? And I know there's people in yeah, probably even more advanced in this than I am, but this is, this is what I'm dwelling on. Because I think as we go forward, I would like this to be a big part of the direction. Is that right with you? I've always been a person of the Word. I preach faith, preach the Word. But actually, I think this is a big part of... What I, what I believe needs to be said is even part of the vision and the direction and find a way to do it. Because a lot of people come to church and they don't feel they can actually be honest with the person next to them. They've got to put up a front. Because, you know, how are you to, how are you to do, brother? How are you today, brother? Yes, praise the Lord, I'm good. Because they know if they say, I'm not very good, the guy goes, oh, uh, okay, all right, okay, I'll go talk to the guy over here. <laughs> yeah? Or I'll pray for you, get set free. Now, what we've been looking at James, and I'm going to draw this one in. What does he say in James? Faith without works is dead. And then he uses the example of compassion. He says, if you see your brother have a need, what do you do? Just be warmed and filled. Now, we think about that in the sense of they have a need of a meal. And then, yes, they can. But I think there's a broad truth there, isn't there? Is actually being someone who's willing to be part of meeting the need in that person. Yeah, and you can't necessarily meet every need in every person, but if we've got an environment where people are giving of that, we'll create a better environment. I personally don't want to create the same kind of environments I've experienced in churches. And it's easy to just continue on that same walk. I think even word churches can be worse in this because it's so much of you just be tough in the Lord, you be strong in the Lord, you, 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 you speak faith, you speak this, you do this. And if anyone even speaks a word out of, out of, out of turn, it's more a matter of, no, 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 you shouldn't talk like that. But there are times you, you need to be able to turn to someone, be honest. And no, that person's not going to just judge you, not just going to turn on you, not going to just suddenly stand away from you. Okay, um, we need culture change in church. And we need to be the kind of church culture that does this. I know there's individuals who do this. You know, 
we were talking about a bit of this this morning. It was discussion after the main message. And it really got me thinking more because it, 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 it stuff that has been on my mind. You know, one of the... I, I've studied the ministry of angels in scripture. I, I used to teach in a Bible school. And uh, one of the things that I often... Well, I asked when I studied that course is, are there common characteristics between people in scripture who had experiences with angels. Now, the Bible doesn't necessarily say, do this, do this, do this, do this, you'll have an angel appear. I don't believe it's a formula, but are there common characteristics where you see repeated of the type of people who had those kind of experiences? And I actually believe there are. Yeah, that's an angel experience. Mm -hmm. Now, one of them, there's some spiritual things. One of them is people who pray. Daniel was a person of prayer. Cornelius, he prayed. He wasn't even a Christian, but he prayed. And, and there are other people who, who were people of prayer and they had experiences with angels. Now, I'm not saying it's a formula. You can't just turn it on or off and say, if I do these three things, I'll have an angel appear to me. Don't be like that. None of the people asked or prayed for angelic appearances, but they're things that can put you in a position. But you know what? There's one scripture we often don't think about. We kind of know it. Everyone can quote it, but it's a natural characteristic. And it's the, one in, it's the one in Hebrews 13, I think, verse 2, where it says, do not forget to entertain strangers. What will happen? Anyone quote it? Well, it might be an angel. <laughs> yeah, basically because some have unaware entertained angels. What is, it to what is he talking about entertaining, uh, entertaining strangers? It's a characteristic in Scripture what we might call hospitality. What is it to be hospitable? It's opening your, heart, your, your, your home up to people, opening your life up to people, being willing to be there for people, have them over for meals. But this is, I don't think this is just a, a standoffish thing. I think this is an important characteristic to God, to, uh, uh, of the kingdom of God. Because if you look through the people who had angelic experiences, I can pinpoint that characteristic in almost every one of them. Now, Cornelius, remember Cornelius, the Gentile? You remember he had a vision and Peter had a vision and God brought them together. We're not told a lot about this man. Okay. In fact, go, go there in Acts 10 quickly. Let me look at this one. I'm going to just jump around a little bit and say some things. and We're going to read some scriptures in a moment. But... Um, I just want us to dwell on this because I think we want to begin to begin to actually look at ourselves and say, how can I grow in this area? I know I want to. I haven't always been as grown in this area as I could be. Okay. But to be like this actually requires being willing to step out of just being selfish, being willing to step out of just watching my life and me inconvenience yourself and even be open. And vulnerable. Okay. Now, Cornelius. Some I won't look at all the scriptures, but I want to look at this one. Cornelius was the, the Gentile God chose to release the church into our, into the Gentile world, didn't he? Now, why did he choose this man? Do you know? I do not believe there are coincidences in Scripture about why God chose people. Sometimes we brush over them. We think, well, it's all just down to the choice of God. Why did God choose Joseph 
to be Jesus's, well, we could say stepdad because not his actual dad. What characteristics do we see in the man? Well, we see he's quick to obey when God said move. But you know what? When he found out Mary was with child, did he run and broadcast it? Yeah. Might be a characteristic we jump over. Did he broadcast the person's sin? Did he go and tell everybody? No. What did he do? He said he, he didn't want to hurt or embarrass her. He was just going to put her, put her away quietly. Because I guarantee you the first thought in his head when she got pregnant wasn't God's done this. God showed him that afterwards. But the first thought in his head is she'd been playing around. Yeah. Okay. But even in that, he chose how he how he reacted and responded to her. Well, look at this with Cornelius. We're not told a lot about them. Was this just a random choice with this man? Acts chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian uh, regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household. Are we told something about this man? He, he didn't know Christianity, but he did have a heart for the things of God. But notice this, who gave alms generously to the people. Did he care about people? Do you think that's a characteristic? Now, I know that's not quite directly hospitality in the sense, but it, it, it probably broadly is in a sense. Okay. And prayed to God always. Is, are there spiritual characteristics? But is there also a natural characteristic told us about this man? Yeah. At about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel, supernatural encounter in his life. Do you think those, that short little list of characteristics that we're told about this man played a factor in God releasing these things into his life? I guarantee you they did. What about Abraham? Did Abraham see angels? What about the time, was it two or three men came to him? And a conversation with them, and I, you know, I believe one was the Lord. Some people say it's the Trinity, but I, I think it's angels and, and maybe God and an angel, God and two angels. I can't remember the numbers. But you know, the Bible says when Abraham saw them coming toward them, I don't believe he knew, like, well, it's God. I mean, he, he, by all appearance, these were just a couple of guys arriving. So when he when he saw them coming to them to him, he, he basically, I think he went to them, but he invited them in to his home. He said, "Come have a meal with me." prepared a meal i think he got sarah to prepare the meal or whatever okay but he reached out in hospitality to these people now a couple of those angels then went to sodom and gomorrah where lot was now they come into the town they got nowhere to stay the night lot sees them what does he do hope you guys find a place he says, come stay at my house. I didn't even know these guys. Now, again, okay, please understand. We live in a world where there are dangerous people who do dangerous things. Don't be stupid, okay? But we're showing a characteristic in these people and how they were toward others. Do you think that's a factor in God moving in their lives? I think it is. Now, they, those, two, those two angels said to Lot, no, no, it's all right. We'll stay here in the, in the square. And you know what? Lot insisted. He stood his ground. He said, no, you're coming to my house. Now, we all talk, look at how those angels brought Lot and his family out. I have to ask the question, would they have done that if Lot hadn't first taken the step to invite them into his home? Just ponder that question. I'm not going to answer. I don't think, think he would have done. 
I think the opportunity for the supernatural came into his life and he could have missed it. Now, I know, I know, I know my next example is not an angel, but think about this. Jesus has been raised from the dead and he appears to two men on the road to Emmaus. They don't know it's Jesus. They didn't go, oh, it's Jesus. Okay. So they walk the whole way. I don't know how far it was, but from Jerusalem to Emmaus, I think they were going. The whole way, they have no idea this is Jesus with them. It's hidden from them. Okay. They, they get to Emmaus and the Bible basically indicates that Jesus indicated he was going to keep going. He was going to keep walking. At this point, they didn't know it was Jesus. What did they do? No, no, no. They said, they said to him, come stay with us tonight. It's late. Come stay with us. He then came and stayed with them. And when they sat down for food, he broke bread and they realized it's Jesus. And he disappeared. Would they have ever known they'd been in the company of Jesus if they hadn't invited him in to come stay with them? How's that? For? These two men could have gone on their lives thinking we met a nice stranger and had a chat on the road. Wasn't that a nice day? They would never have known if they were not willing to be the kind of people who opened their lives up to other people. Do you see how important this is in scripture? I th and I think there's more examples. So actually, there is a, there's an indication in scripture that our willingness to operate in, 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 in love in these areas and I don't just mean love as a, as in a feeling and love from a distance, like James said, love that shows action to reach out to people to, to and, I, 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 and, and even in the new Testament, we're going to read some scriptures. This should go so much further, especially with our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ in, 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 in having an environment where we don't just trust the anointing to minister to the hurt of pe hurting people, but we know how to be a body that ministers to the hurting people too. Because I actually think if we're like that in heart, I think the anointing will flow more. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. It's part of the love walk. Yeah. But it's got to create a, a... You see, people don't feel they can be honest in church. They don't feel they can say to someone they're hurting because they think they're going to get judged. Yeah. Or you should be stronger than that. You should go and pray. Go and listen to the word and, and, and get yourself strong. Hey... I've probably been guilty of saying and thinking those things myself. And I do believe in getting strong in the word. Right. But we should, we shouldn't have an environment where people are putting up fronts and pretending. Do you know that pretending is not of God? Genuineness is of God being able to be real and genuine. Now at the same time, yes, we do want to grow to be strong. Yeah. But how, if you break your arm, how do you get it strong? You first got to put it in a cast and let it heal to get strong. Some people are struggling to get strong because they're still in a broken condition and they can't get free from it. We can't just say, just get strong. Sometimes the actual practical truths of the New Testament need to kick in where we are actually the kind of people that help someone get strong.
and help them get to that stage where they can start getting strong in the Lord. And then they'll get strong and be able to help other people. Okay, let's read some things. Galatians 6. So I'm just sharing this from my heart. Pondering some thoughts. Because I, 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 I'm, I'm genuinely thinking to myself, how can we have a change of culture in this area and set a different standard? I, I've been in church all my life, and um, I, I, know, I just know there's too many fake environments. Yeah? Because it takes actually being willing to step out of selfishness to open your house, your house up and your home up and your food up and to help someone else and to be there for someone else. Galatians chapter six, verse one. Brethren, if anyone is overtaken in any trespass, what's a trespass? If anyone is overtaken in any trespass, grab your stones and start stoning them. <laughs> if anyone is overtaken in any trespass, just kick them out the door. Because we can't have that kind of riffraff around. Well, people say, oh, there's scriptures where he talks about throw them out of the church. Just why do we always have to ju jump to those scriptures? Are these not true as well? If any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who, who are spiritual, restore. What is it to restore? Restore. Make something like it was new again, to bring it back to a new healthy condition does that take a bit of effort does that take time yes. if someone is in a broken condition and they might be in their broken condition because they did some things wrong does it take some effort to be someone who's going to help restore them you know, it's a lot easier to just leave them in their mess that's more that's more convenient but that's selfish. You who are spiritual. Do you see that word spiritual in there? I remember one minister was saying he was praying over this verse and he said, God, why don't we see the, more of this in the church? And God said the answer's in the verse. And he thought to himself, I don't see it. He read it again. And then he said, God, I just don't understand. Why are we not restoring people more? God said the answer's in the verse. And he said, he read it again. He thought, I don't see it, God. So he just said, God, God, why are we not doing this? The church should be doing this. And God said, the answer's in the verse. Read it. And finally, he saw it. You who are spiritual. God said to him, there are not as many spiritual ones around as we'd like to think. Because that is how a spiritual person would act. The spiritual ones who praying 10 hours in the glory. Spiritual ones who can quote 400 scriptures. Spiritual ones are the ones who, when they get up to sing, the anointing falls. And everyone's crying. Those are the spiritual ones. Or are the spiritual ones the ones who know how to treat someone else right? Now, I'm not saying this judgmentally. I've treated people wrong. That's it. We all have. 
And I'm willing to be open and honest about that. Maybe I wouldn't have used to be. <laughs> have we? Ha, have you? Have you done this wrong? I've done this wrong. Okay. We want to pretend I've never done anything wrong. I've never mistreated someone. Of course, yeah, I've done it. And then sometimes, sometimes I justify myself why I was okay doing it. And sometimes I regret doing it. I bang my head against the wall and beat myself up before God for doing it. But we're human. We make mistakes. Okay. But I want to grow to be this more. Now, what is it to restore? Let's camp on that word. So this, a truly spiritual person will do what? Work to restore people who've messed up some things. Well, does that mean they'll just pray from a distance, Lord, help them get restored? Because is that consistent with what James taught us? When you see someone in need, you just say, I'll oh, be warmed and filled, we'll pray for you. Yeah, you walk that path with them to help them get restored. It's easier to walk away and just abandon them and leave them in their mess. It's a lot harder to help walk them through the process. That takes inconveniencing yourself. Yeah. Bear one another's burdens. In fact, we, we're going to get with that. I think it, I don't even know if it's in the, I think it's in this verse. Okay. To restore is to bring it back to a whole new condition. Now, is that part of the heart of the father? Yes. Is God the restorer. We were talking about this a lot in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Jehovah Rapha, often translated, I am the Lord who heals you. And we, we, we think about it mostly in the context of physical healing, and, and it applies. But I, I, I read a, a study on that word Rapha, and it's different kind of conjunctions, or whatever they call them. I think it's one of the best I've ever read. It was, a, it was quite amazing. But he said in that book that that word translated the Lord my healer. First of all, it's better translated restore, the Lord my restorer. And, and he said many times people limit what that word means. They say, oh, well, it just means spiritual healing. And it doesn't mean physical healing or it just means this type of healing. It doesn't mean this. He says, when you really understand how the Bible uses that word and even how that word was used in the culture of the day usage, he said, you have to realize and accept that when you read, I am the Lord who restores, you have to take it in its broadest possible meaning. In other words, everything it can mean, it does mean. If it can mean, if, it's, if, if, if the physical body needs to be restored back to a healthy condition, then that applies. Yeah. If the emotions yeah. need to be restored back. Yeah. Does, does he say in Psalm 23, he restores my soul. Yeah. Can God do that? Yeah. Okay. Anything. And in fact, when God spoke that, he applied it to the sickness and diseases of Israel. I'll take sickness and disease away from the midst of you. But it happened in context of the bitter waters of Marah, the water. When Moses, he threw a, a stick in and the waters turned sweet. That was Jehovah Rapha. He, healed the water. he turned the water back into what it should have been. Because it wasn't operating in the condition that it needed to operate in. 
Yeah? So whether it's water, whether it's a person's emotions, whether it's a person's spiritual condition, whether it's their physical condition, whether it's a relationship, whether it's their kids, their family, their home, does Jehovah Rapha apply? Is he the God who restores and puts back? Well, is that just on, on, on God? Is it just that we say, well, God will restore? What do spiritual people do? You who are spiritual? Restore. Why? Because we operate like our father operates. What is our goal in any situation? What is our goal in dealing with another person who's in a difficult condition? Or they've... Is, is, is it just to, to make sure we get as far away from as possible? We kick them out. No, 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 no. Should we have a heart to restore? What do you think the ministry of reconciliation is? Do we have the ministry of reconciliation or do we have the ministry of divide and separate and push away? That, that is how they That's easier to do. As far easier to do as Christians. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot easier to grab the scriptures that are convenient. Throw them out of the church. Get rid of them. Because that's what the Bible says to do. <laughs> We've seen too much of that. That's far easier. <laughs> but these scriptures are in here too. The ministry of reconciliation, reconcile, is the restoration of broken relationships. It starts with the restoration of our relationship with God. But is he the God who can reconcile and restore other relationships? Do you, do you think God is the kind of God who will work toward that goal? Is it his nature? I think it's his nature. Can he restore husbands and wives? Can he restore broken homes? Yes. Can he restore friendships? Yes. Okay. Yes. Can he restore parents and kids? Yes. He can do it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you who are spiritual, what goal should we be working towards? Should we be reconcilers? Because in Corinthians, does he say, we have the ministry of reconciliation? We think, oh, it's just reconciliation with God. Or, or do, you think, do you think it's capturing the full heart of the Father? Should, should ours be an environment of reconciliation and restoration? Should that be our heart? I think so. Okay, let's keep reading. You are spiritual. Restore such a one in a spirit of judgment and harshness. Gentleness. What's gentle? Caring. I mean, gentle is quite a... It's a lovely word. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Gentle. Gentle. Why gentle? If someone's got a broken arm, to just grab their arm. Shake, give it a good shake. You can cause further damage. You cause further damage. 
gentleness is needed in healing and restoration. And spiritual people will have the fruit of the spirit and operate in gentleness. Do we see gentleness in church a lot? Not always. Do you, do you know, my observation is the more people go up in church leadership, the less gentle they seem to become. And the more harsh and quicker. I'm not saying every church leader. I, I, please, please understand. I'm, this is not a message where I'm trying to criticize and point at ourselves. I've been in that place of being hardened as a Christian. I've been in that place of being leader standoffish. I don't want to be like that anymore. That hurts people. Hurts yourself in the in the process. Okay. Restore in a spirit of gentleness. Should we trust and believe God that we can be like this too? Should we make it a goal? Should we, should we make this a priority? Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Well, there's truth in that as well because you realize. I'm just as weak as the next person in the sense that I, I could trip up too. Yeah? Okay? Then, then the one you quoted, verse 2, bear one another's burdens. There's Christ-likeness, which I mentioned just now. Did he bear my burden? He bore my burden. Is it, should we just say, oh, thank you, Jesus, bore my burdens. I don't have any more burdens. I never have to burden ever again. Hope you get free from your burdens too. <laughs> Be warmed and filled. No, no, bear one another's burdens. What do you, how, how do you do this? What is it to bear a burden? It means you carry that load too. That's the heart of an, I think that's the heart of an intercessor even. Intercessors identify and begin to, it's not just a standoffish cold thing. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? I mean, my understanding is the law of Christ is the love walk. Now, does he say that doing this is fulfilling that law? Bearing one another's burdens, restoring in a spirit of gentleness. It's easier to just forget about this and say, well, I'm just going to focus on my healing and my prosperity and my blessing. Yeah? Now, I think I said two weeks ago when I talked about unselfish love, I do think one of the reasons some people are struggling to get answers to their prayers is because faith works by love. Genuine, real love. I think we're not seeing as much freedom happening in people's lives from things, and they're struggling. They might be making the right confessions. They might be listening to the word. They might be meditating on scriptures. But the fuel of the faith works by love is lacking. Now, we can justify and pretend to ourselves as much as we like that we are sharp and cool and got it all together in the love walk. Or we can humble ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, teach me, help me to be this. The wonderful thing about God is that we can all change. 
He enables change. He enables us to change and grow. I know with me more than anything else in my life, it's what I've been crying out for, Lord. More than anything, change me, change me, change me, change me, however I need to change to be the person that I need to be. Amen? I won't read the rest of this. He goes on and says some other things. Let's go to another one, Romans 9. I have a lot more to say, but just this is it's just going on around me, and I thought, let's just do this today. Because I know this identifies with, with some of your hearts as well. I think we'd do a lot more in the body of Christ and possibly even a lot more in reaching the world if we can do this. Didn't Jesus say, they'll know you're my disciples by how many scriptures you can quote? They'll, you know, you'll know them, prophets, people who prophesy and other things by their fruit, but they'll know you're my disciples because you're a man of the word. They'll know you're my disciples because you pray six hours a day. They'll know you're my disciples because you've got really amazing worship in your church. You've got the best worship in town. You've got the most beat. People love it when they come to your worship. Oh, you can all jump up and down and you can all, you can all look great. You can all go, hallelujah. And they, they know, oh, that's Jesus' disciples right there. Is that what he said? You'll know, you'll know they're my disciples because you've, you, you, you know, you've got a really posh building. <laughs> and you can draw a crowd. Your, your, your church is drawing more people than other people's churches because, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm trying not to criticize, but I'm trying to just highlight. How did Jesus say they will know we're his disciples? What is the characteristic Jesus highlighted? Wasn't their prayer life, their word life, their, their worship, their ability to pray the glory down? They will know you're my disciples by the love. Is that the, all that he said? You have for one another. The love you have for one another. They will see the love between you. How, how, how do you see? How do you know the love is flowing between some people? Do you just look at them and go, oh, you can just, their actions, thank you. That's what James said. Demonstrate it. Show it. They'll know you're my disciples because they can see in that church when one is hurting, they're all hurting and they're all there bearing each other's load. They can see in that church, they're restoring each other. Is that the kind of reputation the church tends to have in the world? Or do we actually have the opposite reputation? No, it's opposite. <laughs> it didn't even take hesitation from most of you there because we know that. And, and you're not the only crowd that would agree with that. I've heard many Christians say that. Can we get better in this area? Can we do this better? Yeah. Are we going to? Yeah. Should, we, should we actually prioritize this and say, Lord, this, this needs to be the kind of environment we have and we are. Yeah. Let's go to Romans 9. Romans 9. I'll finish off on this scripture. Romans 9, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. 
You've got the Greek there, don't you? Can you look up that word hypocrisy quickly? Sorry, Romans, Romans 9 9. Have I put the wrong chapter down? Where's the one that is it? Let maybe it's Romans twelve. I've written down the wrong Romans. It might be wrong <laughs> Romans twelve. Let's try find it quickly. Yeah, Romans twelve. Yeah. Romans twelve nine. Let me just look. I can look this up as well quickly in the Greek. Let love be without assimilation. But that man says without hypocrisy, and I'm just—I I didn't look this up in, adva in advance. I'm actually curious as I'm saying it now. Um, that word dissimulation. Is sincere without hypocrisy. Okay. What does undissembled mean? I don't. No idea. Yes, without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy is actually without looking that word up. I was hoping that's what it means, and also sincere, unfeigned. Yeah. Okay. Um, what is sincere? Let love be sincere. What is sincere to us? Real. Genuine. Not fake. Let love be without fakeness. Okay. How many people feel they can be real in church? How many people feel they can be real with the person next to them? Or how many people feel they have to be fake? And pretend they've had the best week. We've been in the glory all week. Where actually they haven't. They've been in the darkest valley all week. Okay. So he says, let love be sincere or without fake. Should that be the kind of love we want? Genuine love. Real love. Can you, can you tell when it's genuine? Well, it's just a pretense. <laughs> Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affection to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. Uh, he goes through a list of things. Verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. There's hospitality again. Okay. Um, verse 14 and 15, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep. With those who weep. Is that identification? Do you know, it's easier to bless those who persecute you than it is to weep with those who weep. I personally, it's a lot easier. Someone's treating, persecuting you. Oh, Lord, you know, bless them. You know, I'm going to pray for them. I love them. And then another brother in Christ is weeping and, and, and you just going to stand off. I personally think it's easier. I'm not saying either is easier, but I think one. I think it's easier to bless those who persecute you than to actually identify with, carry the burdens with, and weep with those who weep. Does he say, just tell those who weep, come on, up you get, on your feet. You shouldn't be crying. That's not a faith thing to do. That's not a word thing to do. Is this as much word? You, If you weep, now, I, again, I haven't looked the word up, but to me, certainly in the English word, weep is a lot stronger than just crying. Sob, Sobbing. Wailing. That's what the word means, yeah? That is a deep, 
crying? Does he just say, shed a few tears for those who are crying deeply? Weep with those who weep. To weep with someone who weeps, you feel their pain. You feel it. I don't know about you. You can get an onion out the cupboard and make a few tears come out of your eyes. You cannot, as far as I know, make yourself weep without feeling real pain. Am I wrong? Can anyone here? Do, I, know, I know people can turn the tears on. They can just cry. But it's fake. It's not real. That's it. But weeping is a real identification with them. You're feeling what they feel. You're feeling the pain. Now, I'm not preaching this today to say I'm there. I'm preaching this to say I want to get there more. And I see the path and I begin to see we've got to find this. We've got to get to this place. Is this part of being a Christian? Is this part of being Christ-like? Did he do this for us? I don't think when God, when it says, for God so loved the world. And I said I said last time about, I saw some things about the unselfish love of God. But, but I, don't th- I don't think in heaven, God just stands there cold and distant. And go, oh, I love them. I'm going to send my son to them. Go, Jesus. Do you think he has an identifying love? Do you think he feels it? Some people, some people think God is like um, well, the um, everyone sees Star Trek, the Vulcans. Yeah. Um, I, I heard someone say that comes from a Greek philosophy, Stoicism. No emotions. God, that's it. God created us. He gave us the emotions. Do you think He feels them? Do you think He knows what it's like to feel emotions? He made in His image. There's scriptures which talk about God laughs. He can have a good laugh. But do you, do, you think, do you think he can feel for the pain of others? Do you think feeling that pain becomes a driving force behind his heart to reach out to do something about that pain? Do you think he's just distant and aloof when you're in your pain? What drove him to identify and drove Jesus to identify and bear the burdens? Because, let me say it like this. I think he bore the burden inside his feelings and inside himself before he actually bore the burden on the cross. Because he wept with those who wept. He felt it. I don't really know where to go from this point on this. I'm just sharing some things, but I just want to encourage us in this area. I, I want to encourage that, that, that uh, we can grow in this area. And I think we should, and we, and we can have a change of culture. I, I, I wouldn't venture. I wouldn't even like to try to figure out or assume how many hurting Christians are out there. How many Christians have been hurt by church leaders and hurt by churches? I won't go to church. I mean, I'm not asking for testimonies, but just, but I wonder how many. 
And the leaders just steam ahead. I'm not saying that to try to criticize, but do you think God feels for those members of the body of Christ? Do you think God just stands off distant and goes, rah, rah, you know, they didn't submit to the leadership, rah. Yeah. I think, I mm-hmm. no think anybody who loses their name at least three leaders, yeah. really hard. Yeah, we'll try not to go through names of leaders as no, well. You are more accountable. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. See, as a leader, you, you're not above the normal rules. Mm-hmm. I think some, no, some no. think they are. It's easy to teach to others to follow the rules. Yeah. Not legalism, but I mean, it can be legalistic. But leadership should be by example. Shouldn't, shouldn't the leaders in churches be shepherds? Yeah, true shepherds. Yeah. True and the Bible shepherds. Talk, yeah. the Bible talks about the fake shepherds. Yeah, and the fake shepherds. How does, how does a shepherd... Treat a sheep that's injured. Does he just chuck it off a cliff and say, "Well, that's one less to worry about"? He leaves the ninety-nine, goes for the one. The ninety-nine are okay. I'm going after the one that needs it. That's the shepherd's heart. Does he just say, "Well, I've got ninety-nine in my church, so so it's all right. We lost one. Boo-hoo." Oh, well, we'll, we'll pray God replaces them. <laughs> How does a real shepherd act? How did, Je- how did Jesus react when he saw people hurting? Physical sickness. When he saw needs. But did his compassion... Just let him have warm feelings about them. Oh, I've got compassion on you. It's all right. I, I, I'm all right before God because I have compassion, but bye. He was moved by compassion. He did something. How many times do we see scriptures which talk about Jesus saw them as sheep without a shepherd? He saw their condition saw the fact that they were in a, a lost, painful condition. How do you think a sheep without a shepherd is, is like? I think a little bit lost and wandering around. Do you know that this motivated many of his miracles? How many people did he heal because he was moved with compassion? People want the miracles. They don't want to be moved with compassion. How many, do you know that even feeding and the multiplying of the food, um, the disciples came to Jesus and, and uh, said, oh, you know, it's late. You've been teaching ages. You know, the people are hungry. And the disciples said to him, send them away. That's what the disciples Send them away. And I had God speak to me one time when I read that. He said, it's not in the nature of the shepherd to send the sheep away when they're in need. See, the disciples saw the need. They weren't willing to be part of the solution to the need because it was inconvenient. They were aware of the need didn't want to do anything about it because they've just had a nice teaching meeting with Jesus. But Jesus turned to them and said, you feed them. Now that took up some personal responsibility. You do something about that need. And we know the miraculous was 
was released. But do you think the release of the miraculous had anything to do with that willingness to have compassion and act? I think that drives the miraculous. Amen? Anyway, just a few thoughts.